Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. My name is Bruce Johnson. I am joined today, as always, by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello. He is back in Pennsylvania. I am in the wonderful state of South Dakota, and we are very excited to have you joining us today from whichever state you're in. Let us know by sending us an email at trdshowatprotonmail.com. We'd love to know where some of our listeners are tuning in from. Even if you're a long-time listener of the show, we'd love to hear from you. Go to our website, trdshow.net. We got all sorts of cool stuff on there. You'll definitely want to check it out. Sign up for our newsletter if you want to keep updated about all of our new stuff we're putting out, trdshow.net slash newsletter. Also, hey, do you like mugs? Well, we got a mug for you. Go to trdshow.net. Check out our merch store. We got a mug. We've also got stickers. We have a Go There For special edition t-shirt that came out two weeks ago that um, we are basing an entire series of discussion topic episodes around. So you definitely want to check out our merch store and help support the show. We really appreciate all the people that have already bought merch from us so far. Um, All right. Today is Literature Wednesday. We got all sorts of really, really fun and incredibly interesting things to talk about. We are starting a brand new book today. It is called Mother Kirk, and it's by Dr. Not Dr. Sorry, I'm used to Dr. Greg Bonson. This is Mother Kirk by Douglas Wilson. And uh, this week we read chapter one, all of chapter one. So we'll be going through chapter one. And uh, in a minute, we're going to talk about why did we choose this book? And what exactly is it addressing? What's kind of the theme here with this? So it's actually a really incredible theme. And really incredible book to go with it. So before we get into all that, though, we have to talk about the verse of the week. And uh, we talked about this on uh, Monday. And as we mentioned on Monday, we have a special, special episode coming out on Friday. You definitely don't want to miss where uh, my pastor of the church I'm going to, Pastor Jonathan Hansen of the Connection Church in Lead, breaks down this verse as well. But Jacob here is going to break it down for us today and uh, maybe not give as many details as Pastor Hanson did, does on the Friday episode, because I know I held back a little bit on the Monday episode, too, because I was like, ah, he covered this really well. So pass it over to Jake, and uh, I'm excited to hear what you got. All righty. And the verse this week is Matthew 9, verse 35 through 38, and it reads, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were, hara- they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Going into this a little bit, it's very like reminiscent of our current day and age and Pastor Hansen touches on this that and and I I wanted to focus on something that when when all hope seems lost mm. that is when we really need to be pushing um a biblical framework we need yes. to be giving people the gospel of the kingdom yes and the eschatology so really, of victory. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's when when people are helpless and they need a shepherd, we need to give them that shepherd. When they are sheep without a shepherd, yes. we need to be that shepherd. And show them the one true shepherd. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
But also another thing Pastor Hansen was touching on, and I won't go in depth, I'll let you let you hear it from his mouth, but the the laborers are few, meaning there is labor. There mm. is work for yeah. us. God is calling us to go out and do work. Yes. He's calling us to be the laborers of that labor. Yes. Yep. So. That's a great point. Great point. Thanks for bringing those up, Jake. All right. So moving into our book this month, which is, uh, again, Mother Kirk by Douglas Wilson. Um, I want to answer the question briefly. Why did we choose this book? And what is this book addressing? Um, so actually, Doug Wilson answers these questions um, in the introduction to this book. So I want to talk a little bit, first of all, on page 15, he talks about the current state of our culture. And I'm just going to have that quote here. Um, and then he kind of gives an answer and talks about why this is happening and what the solution is. So our current, the current state of our culture. He says on page 15, our culture is haunted by epistemological despair, a despair which cannot be buried, shouted down, turned aside, or simply ignored. It is always there, even when we may prefer to deny it. We have no idea why we are here, where we're supposed to go, and how we're to conduct ourselves on the way. Countless fathers desert their wives and children. Pastors dishonor their calling through their rampant adulteries. Thieving representatives of a thieving people plunder the widow. The drunkards of Ephraim puke on the table. For those who have eyes, the approaching night is clearly the kind which cannot be danced away. And then a little bit further down on the page, he gives the why. Like, why is all of this happening? Uh, he says, this has happened because over the last century and a half, the Christian church has allowed herself to be corrupted by the various forms of unbelieving isms which surround her. Egalitarianism, feminism, socialism, environmentalism, you name it, ism. The contemporary church consequently has no answers for those questioning, no light for those in darkness, no life for those who live in death. The church, which God ordained as the pillar and ground of the truth, now finds herself echoing, although somewhat plaintively, that ancient rel relativistic aside of, oh, I'm sorry, finds herself echoing that ancient relativistic aside of uh, Pilate, quad veritas, what is truth, end quote. So we chose this book because the church is vitally important to culture. And in case those quotes didn't make it clear enough, this book is talking directly about the church. In fact, I think the subtitle is Essays on Church Life. Yes, it is. I just read it there. It's handy having it right behind me. <laughs> so, yes, essays on church life and discussing what a true church looks like. So the church is vitally important to culture, uh, and we need to understand what a solid church actually looks like. We need to understand the duties and responsibilities of the church, especially in our broken and twisted culture. On page 21, Doug Wilson actually says, the central problem in America today is the refusal of the church to act as salt. Salt is controversial. Salt is troublesome. Salt is a nuisance. Salt is divisive. Salt is too doctrinal and theological. Salt is a pain in the neck. Salt is, well, salty. <laughs> End quote. And, and the problem with America, with the society in America today is that the church is not any of those things. It's not salty. It's not doing what our verse of the, the, sh, the verse of our show, which is Matthew 5.13, it's not doing that. It's not being salt. And so 
what did we discuss on Wednesday, Jake, was that, you know, if a church is not being, if people are not being salt, then mm. they're good for nothing except... On Monday. Monday, yeah, sorry, my bad. I'm losing track of the days here. Today's Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they're not salt, they've lost their saltiness, then mm. what are they good for? Except to be tried yeah. underfoot. So yeah, this is this is totally true and a very apt description of our current culture. Yes, and and what we've been saying, you know, from basically from the beginning of our show, um, is this right here? You know, the church has fall fallen. Yep. Right. The church has failed to do its job. Yeah. And but I think most notably here. Is and I I don't think necessarily uh, uh, Doug Wilson brings this up, but I do think that he believes this. But that the church is made up of people, mm. so really individuals have failed to keep the church accountable to that. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, that's a great and point. So, and really, just like hearkening back to. It's not that we can just say, oh, the church has failed. Oh, what is the church doing? It needs to step up and do its job. <laughs> no, no, it's really, it's on us personally. Yeah. We yeah. have failed to keep the church accountable. Yes. Great points. Great points. Good reminder. Um, so, you know, Doug Wilson, throughout the whole first chapter, talks mainly about the importance of a historical church, a historical church. So, we're going to talk more in depth and hopefully give you the sense of what a historical church is by the end of this episode. Um, so hopefully that's been answered. If that's still a question by the end of the episode, let us know. We'd love to answer that. Send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. But we're going to be addressing that question and also the importance and why it's important that you're part of, an, of a historical church and why we need more of these. So page 26, um, Doug Wilson said, we do not know who the first church member was. It may have been Adam or perhaps Eve. Scripture does not say explicitly. But at the very least, God had called out a people for himself by the second generation of mankind. Abel is identified by Christ as righteous, and the author of Hebrews tells us he was a man of faith, end quote. So that's important to, to remember and, and understand that, you know, this church goes all the way back to the very beginning of mankind. That right off the bat, should strike you as like, oh, whoa, wait a minute, what? You, you, as a Christian, should want to belong to the oldest church in history, which goes all the way back to at least the second generation, if not the first generation, of uh, humanity. On page 27, uh, Doug Wilson said, If a man is redeemed by Christ, then he is a member of this church a church founded in God's decree before time existed and by the grace of God manifested in history as long as sinful heirs of Adam have lived. Enter the modern rootless evangelical who, with a bemused attachment, is able to tell you only that the church he attends has was founded in the late 50s by a gifted biblical expositor, an honors graduate of Bison Breath Bible College, <laughs> historically isolated from other periods of the church. This church member's faith is very much anchored to the present moment and his own present needs and concerns, end quote. So hopefully this is beginning to paint um, an image for you. This is beginning to kind of tell the story of what a historical church is 
And you might actually start to be considering why it's so important that you're part of one. So we've talked about the, the he mentioned here the rootless, the modern rootless evangelical who is able to tell you only that the church he attends was founded in the late 50s by a gifted biblical expositor. No church history there. No deeper roots to fall back on. No uh, levels of accountability that Jacob mentioned earlier. All of this starts to paint a very scary picture for that kind of a church. So we'll, we'll continue reading. So page 25, um, Doug Wilson said, rather than thinking of a visible church, we should think of the historical church. A doctrine of an eschatological church does not neglect the importance of history. This church is the culmination of the entire process of redemptive history, end quote. And so eventually we're going to address, you know, address the creeds, address things that were passed down by other church fathers to us and why it's so important that we hold on to those things and, and recognize them and seek them out. Um, but for now, we're talking about redemptive history. So we're literally going back to, um, you know, the, the a time of Adam. We're going back to all of these things and what those people, the, remember the church is the ecclesia, the called out ones, the people who are called out for God, right? And it's important that we are part of the true church, the true people who are called out in faith to God. So on page 25, he expounds a little bit more on this. He says, our problem is that we have tended to think in the platonic categories of the Greeks instead of the historical and eschatological categories of the Jews. That which is heavenly is true, we assume, and that which is earthly can best be only a dim shadow of that which is true, end quote. So he's talking here about the diminishing of an earthly, of that earthly history. We're like, ah, oh, it's just a, it's a dim shadow. Why, why bother? Why bother studying the early church fathers? Why bother recognizing what previous generations of Christians have done and the fights that they've fought and the documents that they've written, like people like Calvin, for instance, have written these, these collections of systematic theology for a reason. And if we throw all that away and say, oh, I can lean on my own understanding. I can just figure it all out myself. I can just study the word of God, find a nice orator, like he said earlier, and then start a church like that without any ties to any historical uh, group of people with any amount of significance who were rooted in scripture. That's a dangerous place to be. So, so, go so ahead, really like a question that first of I arose in my mind at first, and I think a question that will arise in most other people. And I, I want to get your perspective on it, Bruce. Yeah. But what, what is this look kind of practically? Are we supposed to go out and find churches that have roots later on in history, like dating back to some time later in history? Or what does that look like? What what are people are people supposed to be looking for a different church just because of this fact that it isn't um it doesn't have ties to an, a later era? Mm. Or yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, there's a lot of different, lot of different aspects to this and, and different perspectives. Um, one of them is what I was just talking about earlier, which is the fact that we should be looking for churches that care about church history, that care about studying these things and the uh, these early church fathers, these people all throughout the, the you know two thousand years, 
2022 years, <laughs> right, since uh, Christ's death and resurrection, um, we should be going back and, and studying these people and, and ensuring that we're kind of, we're basing what we believe in the truths that they figured out, right, instead of just leaning on our own understanding and starting from scratch, as if there is no history, there is nothing to lean, fall back on, it just is whatever is today. There's been no other uh, important fights throughout history which is a complete lie. So, so an example of that would be going back to the creeds. Would you yes, say? I think that that's a great example of that. Yeah, going back to systematic theology that was written uh, hundreds of years ago, centuries, right? Um, going back to like people like Brackle. Um, Burkhoff, I think, was more recent, but people like Calvin, you know, all of those sorts of things, instead of just throwing them out, we should be studying them and figuring out and comparing them to scripture. Um, and so... Also, but what, what he also talks about is that we are not a detached people. We are a people who are part of the covenantal history of the human race that started with Adam. We're not people that are detached just because we aren't Jews. We are Gentiles. Um, doesn't mean that we are detached from those covenants. That's why Christ died. Uh, part of that was bringing us also. Now we are allowed to come into those covenants and we're a part of those as well. So that being part of those covenants and part of that church, that, that broader church through throughout the, the past 6,000 years of human history is also part of this as well. Does that answer your question? Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. cool. I also, and you probably answered this and if, and if you have, yeah. um, just quickly restate it. Um, what would define, so he says, a rootlessness. Yeah. Um, what was it? He said that... Rootless evangelical. the modern rootless evangelical. Yeah. What would define someone to have a root, right? Being rootless yeah. is wrong, is not, not a good thing here. So so how would we define that root what, in this case? How would... What makes someone rooted? Yes. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, I think we're actually going to be answering that question as we go along. Um, okay. Part of that, though, is finding a, a denomination that is rooted in that, that has its roots, that can tie all the way back to that. So um, it's hard nowadays because a lot of the, de- the modern denominations have fallen away, the denominations that used to be there. But that's part of it, too, is that they don't belong to any denomination. They, they have no history. They just consider themselves a completely brand new group of people, not at all tied to anyone in the past. That's what kind of rootless means there. Um, but, you know, on page 26, which I think speaks to this fairly well, um, Doug Wilson said, The true church is the church in history. The gathered throng of all professing households assembled in covenant around the word and Christ's sacraments. At the end of all history, this same church will be revealed to an astonished universe as a bride of extraordinary beauty. And then also on page 29, he said, this ancient faith is going to last until the end of the world. And through it, Abraham and his heirs will inherit the earth. And then he quotes Romans 4.13, for the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. The sooner mainstream evangelicalism abandons the generic and vanilla faith it has drifted into, the closer we will be to a second reformation, which is desperately needed, end quote. So he's introducing us to this idea, um, introduce, reintroducing us to the idea 
that history is not a bad thing, <laughs> that people believe these things for a reason, then they're biblically based, and that we need to go back to the scriptures to actually ascertain what a true church looks like, which is what the rest of this book is going to discuss. Um, so hold on to that question because we're going to be answering it over the next couple of weeks, but that's a great question. If that didn't answer it already, was that... So no, I, I think I think it's been answered. Okay. <laughs> if, if if the people in the audience think it hasn't been answered yeah. yet, stay tuned for our later yes. episode. Yep. This is this is amazing to have a question come up in our very first episode to then you stay tuned in and you want to know the answer to yeah. it. So please like continue watching. Or get our the book yourself and read it. The answer. <laughs> yes. 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 Or that too. Yeah. That too. Or do both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've got a couple of different things I want to talk about. First is a warning to take the role of the church seriously. So on page 28, Douglas Wilson said at the same time, caution is in order. The church, which Christ purchased with his blood is not the only thing which is of old scripture shows us the serpent has been lying from the beginning. First John 3, 8 and Revelation 12, 9. The truth is ancient, but within the experience of our race lies are almost as ancient. So raw historical data, mere antiquity, just because it's old, does not provide the criterion for evaluating that history. After all, Cain was the eldest. Cain was older than Abel. He was he was the older one. So just because he was older, does that make him true? Not necessarily. So that's not what we're advocating for either here. We're not saying just because it's old means that it must be true. It's not what we're saying either. Um, page 24, he adds to this, and he says, men fall readily into the trap of thinking that all that is necessary for salvation is to be in good standing with the visible church. And because that is something they can readily arrange, they think that all is well with their souls. They start to think that their position on Christ's tree is eternally secure and that they, dry twigs, support the root. Such vanity obviously had to be rejected as the reformers did, end quote. And then page 33, I'll just keep rattling these off because I have a lot to get through. <laughs> page 33, he said, without a coherent doctrine of history and the place of the church within history, the Bible necessarily becomes a book that is suspended in good arbitrary fashion in midair, end quote. So it's just... That was page 31. There. Yeah, 31. What did I say? 33. Oh, Sorry. Thank you. Yeah, 31. <laughs> going going back to that um, quote from page 21, when I was um, reading this, I thought, immediately thought of uh, 31? the Catholic Church. 21. 24. Oh, 24. I gotcha. Yes. Okay, yeah. In, into thinking that they can be just all that's necessary for our salvation is being in good standing with the visible church. Yeah. And I mean, that's yep. totally Catholic thinking yeah um but again that's that's all i could think of was uh, yeah <laughs> yeah it's a good that's a really good point that's a really good point that and i think also that ties in well to the the quote before that where just because it's old doesn't mean that mm. it's right you know for instance the catholic church is very old but that doesn't mean that it's right just because it's right. old. Heresies yeah. can be passed along for a long, long while. So, um, and what Doug Wilson goes on to advocate for is faith. The, the, the truest church is the faith in Christ and the, the adhering to the word of God as, as its ultimate standard. 
That is a true church. And there are lots of examples of that that he's he's going to bring up. So we've got seven minutes. We'll see if we can get through them all. <laughs> so um, I want to move on to a, a warning against idolatry, which is actually um, plays very well into our discussion about the Catholic Church. Page 28, he says, The problem with Eastern Orthodoxy and also with Rome is not their antiquity. The problem is that they are not old enough. They are not part of the ancient church, categorized in all ages by the righteousness of faith. And then on page 31, he says, The Bible teaches us that the word of Christ should dwell in us richly. We are standing in the midst of a theological ruin because this has not been true of us. But if the word of Christ does not dwell in us richly, something else will. And because the only alternative to God himself is some created thing, the result of this fall into sin will always be idolatry. So whether the idolatry is Roman Catholic or Orthodox or Evangelical does not really matter, end quote. So that's, that's a really, really important part of this, is that idolatry is a very real thing and we need to be very, very careful about it. And how do we avoid idolatry? How do we avoid creating new gods and worshiping them, false gods? We study the word of God. We stay true to that, to the true church and not veer off into these paths, these other directions. Um, page 33, he said, for example, the church at Ephesus is no more. Her lampstand was removed. But this is an, uh, this in no way nullifies God's commitment to the greater church. Actually, this was done in fulfillment of his promise. A gardener prunes in order to save, not destroy. The tree mer- the tree remains, not every branch remains, end quote. So that was uh, page 33. So I thought that was that was really, really important. Um, so, yeah, Jake, anything that you'd like to, to add to the conversation before we move on? I, I like that point that um, it may, and, and really it, it harkens to a point of, it may look like it's bad, like pruning, like cutting off branches off of a tree. It may look like it's a bad thing. Yeah. It's like, oh no, you're you're hurting the tree. But no, it's it's in order to save it. Yeah. Not destroy it. Right. And and really like the the tree is still there. Right? Just not every branch is still there. Mm. Yes. And I like and just it this is for me a little bit harder to try and practically apply it to what that means. And if you could expound on that a little bit more to what that means, I, I bet our audience will be a little bit in the same boat that I am in trying to understand this. Yeah, I totally understand. And this chapter is a little bit more um, theoretical and, and a little bit less practical for a reason. It's setting up our conversation for the next couple of chapters that we're going to discuss what a true church looks like. But it's also discussing the importance of going back to our roots. It's it's mm-hmm. trying to reinvigorate Christians to study their church history and study their church. Are you just a, a podunk church that just popped up um, and you have no, like you don't pull yourself back to any creeds. You don't pull yourself back to any doctrines, historical doctrines, because if you're not doing that, it's a very scary place to be. You're out on a precipice and you could fall at any second. Strong wind comes along, you're going to go right over the edge. If you're rooted and you've clamped yourself now to a solid tree of historical doctrines that are true, that have been, have, uh, you know, the test of time is, is part of that because thousands and thousands of other Christians have studied this as well and have 
they've, they've attested to the trustworthiness of those sources. And so if you, if you attach yourself to that, you're going to be much, much better position when the strong wind comes and you're like, oh, what's happening? What, what does the Bible say about that? Or if someone comes to your church with questions, you can point them back to, well, here's our roots. Here's where we come from. And here's why. Here's this creed. Read through it. Here's the Heidelberg Catechisms. Here's all of this. This will help you understand. And then we grow from there. It's basically tying us back to what is our foundation? What are the roots of your church? Do you have a foundation? You can say it's Christ, but if you haven't actually studied his word and put that into writing and actually taught that, then you don't really have a foundation. So yeah, but that was really important. Um, yeah. Did that? Kinda... That's certainly just, by the way, that, that answers and fills in a th- few things for me. Okay. Um, hopefully the audience that fills in stuff for you guys as well. Yeah. And, but if you do have questions on this and I, I quite understand having questions on this, I have certainly had a, multiple questions myself, <laughs> but, um, if you do ask us and yeah. hopefully we can provide an answer for you that will hopefully, you know, make this a little bit more understandable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great point. Thanks for being the audience advocate, Jake. (laughs) Um, So I just want to tie it all together with a final quote from page 35. Doug Wilson said, now this is why we must return to the question of the identity and nature of the true Catholic church. And by that, he means the universal church. Um, A question addressed earlier in our discussion of the righteousness of faith. And that is why we must remember the words of Irenaeus, who said, uh, and said well, that where the church is, there is the spirit of God. And where the spirit of God is, there is the church. Where is the olive tree? The answer of scripture is plain. Where are the olives? End quote. So this is sort of a, you will know it by its fruit, right? You will, you will know that where the spirit of God is, there is the church. So we're going to get more into some of these things um, as we start getting into some of these some of these other chapters and getting more into the specifics and practicality of these. But the setting up the conversation around why is it important that we discuss these things, um, and why is it important that we have we have a true church that is rooted in the oldest church that will continue until the end of time. Why is that important? Hopefully, we've answered that question as well. Anything, Jake, you want to add before we wrap up? Nope. Nope. Just, right. just again, to reiterate, restate, again, if any of the audience members have questions, we will gladly answer them. And I mean, again, understandably, this is very, this is something very theoretical at first, and hopefully it becomes more practical. Yeah. And uh, just ask as many questions as you want about this and uh yeah hopefully we can answer them yes indeed and stay tuned for next week and grab a copy of this book we highly recommend it all right well thank you all so so much for watching us or listening to us today don't forget trdshow.net show website send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com can't wait to hear from you and we'll see you on friday and remember everyone in all that you do do is unto the lord 